0: So what are, what are we doing here, Lauren?
1: That's not a good way to start it. What's this? Lauren's render files? (laughs) Awesome! Yeah! (laughs) What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
0: All right. So do you want to explain what the render files are?
1: You do it, I don't <laughs> even know. <laughs>
0: so the idea of the render files, or Lauren's render files, is that we get a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily editing or isn't necessarily just outside of the editing realm. So we decided to create a Lauren's render files, something you can listen to while you're rendering. Hi. Hey. So I, I thought. I
1: was saying hi to the listener.
0: Oh. So, I thought we'd start off with, how can people get in touch with us?
1: Oh, so, had you Twittered, you would have reached us at, at ArtGuillotine, on Twitter. So that's, um, select as many keys on your, on your keyboard as you can, and then enter. And then, if you want to email, it's info at Art of the Guillotine, and Facebook is facebook.com backslash
0: Someone contacted us through Twitter. That's or, what I hear. Or referenced us through Twitter and made an, an, a comment on my accent. Apparently I have an accent.
1: What about?
0: Apparently I have a really strong Canadian accent. Sure do. At Slacker Shock said I had, uh, I saved my boots. Weird.
1: So, why don't you say, let me tell you about my toque in... Get
0: an aqua. I don't know. Should we start that? Should we have people send in... Uh,
1: Sentences?
0: Yeah, that I have to say online. Yeah. I think we should. Okay. So if you have a sentence that I have to say in Canadian lingo, uh, I need to sit on the Chesterfield to discuss what we're talking about.
1: Right. Or... About. I, um, I really like your Husband's Bay jacket because it really matches your toque.
0: Or we're going to Thunder Bay for the summer.
1: I'm cheering for the Habs.
0: What about prairie pimples?
1: What? <laughs> what is that?
0: It's the little hill they built in Saskatchewan.
1: Oh, that sounds awful. So we had um, we had some guesses for the forward film review, and I have to apologize. I made it sound like this was the easiest one ever, however, it, uh, someone revealed that it could go in two different directions. Mm-hmm. So while it was an incorrect answer. Chip, yes, I totally agree it could have been Dexter.
0: I compl- I I saw that and I was bowled over. Where were you? Yes.
1: My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um it definitely would fit and it's the same actor, but Jamie Cobb got it right. She guessed 6 feet under and that's exactly what it was. Yes. So, way to go Jamie. And we've sent her Oh, wait.
0: Sounds of clapping. There's a huge crowd here. Yeah. So, now we're not going to do a forward film review this week because we do them during our interviews, our interviews with editors. We do? Yes. Okay. So, but let's throw to our interview this week. Mm -hmm. And this week I interview Casey Ryan from The Cutting Room Floor. So uh, Casey and The Cutting Room Floor, we got in touch with each other and discussed things, and he's got a really interesting podcast. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing... Your typical editing podcast a la us right he decided he wasn't going to do an editing podcast at all he was oh. just going to do the cutting room floor and his goal is to help independent filmmakers or at least this is how he started independent filmmakers who are producing their own films and getting building their own projects hmm he helps them get the word out through interviewing them
1: excellent good so, use of um, the new medias yes I think you should subscribe to his podcast. That sounds cool.
0: Yes, I think you should go to keep, iTunes keep the
1: your ear to the ground and and your finger on the pulse.
0: Yes, go to iTunes. search for
1: cutting room floor. Do they um, interview people um, internationally or is it mostly local projects?
0: It seems international. I've seen a lot of interviews with the u s, Canada. Um, there was he what happened was he started off in film doing feature films or indie films Mm -hmm. from Sundance or what have you and now he does anything that's sort of independent including video game designers authors
1: that's very cool and it sounds like it's very multi-interdisciplinary
0: yes so here's our interview with Casey Ryan so I guess for for my audience could you describe your podcast and the goal of your your podcast
2: Well, I mean, the the goal of the podcast is more or less to act as a platform for independent filmmakers and other forms of entertainers to promote their work. So uh, I've had anybody on from artists to mostly filmmakers, because I know that's what I know most about. But I've I've had comic book people on, I've had video game people on, the odd stand-up comedian, actors, writers, producers, any walk of entertainment is welcome on my show.
0: So how did the idea for the podcast evolve, though? Because it's Uh, you were just saying you're just starting to expand a bit now and it started with indie filmmakers but you've uh like so how did it evolve into this did it just start one day you decided to do a podcast or
2: Well, what happened was I I had a friend of mine. I initially started on a website called MyRealBroadcast.com, and uh, I had a friend of mine who owned that site. His name was Dan Coleman, and he was my producer for a long time. He and I are still very good friends. And he had a website that was dedicated to promoting independent musicians, and he and I were both movie nuts, and I was sort of sitting around listening to a few of the talk shows that he had up. Uh, there was one by a guy named Steve Gordon who's an entertainment lawyer and, and called The uh, the Future of the Music Business that was a, a popular podcast. And I looked at Dan one day. Dan's a guy of a few words. you got to understand that. And uh, I, I said, you know, Dan, you could easily take this format and adapt it to promoting independent movie makers. And he kind of looked me up and down and said, that's a good idea. You go do it. Yes. So he we tried it out a couple of different ways initially. I was on another show called Truth, which was a, a talk radio politics show just to see if I liked it uh, with a guy by the name of Barry Anderson, who also had a uh, popular podcast on that uh, station. and then you know, it kind of evolved from there. I initially started doing straight up movie reviews. That got quite frankly kind of boring kind of quickly. <laughs> So uh Dan suggested that we start to throw some interviews in the mix and I, I started to meet some local independent filmmakers and uh you know, cast my net a little bit further. I go out on Twitter and met a whole bunch of people that way. That was a game changer for mm-hmm. us. And uh I just I was willing to talk to anybody in independent entertainment that had a story to tell and a project to play. So what was it then about independent artists that captured your
0: interest initially?
2: Well, in the sense that, that I was an independent myself, and mm-hmm. and uh, there was a guy that I had on fairly early on, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Goodman from Shio Films, and and he said that this is a medium where it's not necessarily do-it-yourself anymore, but it's do-it-with-the-help-of-others. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, coming from an environment where I had a small show that I was trying to launch, I figured that the most effective way for me to put my skills to use having a sales background Uh, was to act as a platform to help smaller projects get the attention that they need and, and to raise the funding that they need to hit the Kickstarter goals and things like that. There's a lot of great stories out there uh, that, that quite frankly don't get the visibility that they deserve. There's a lot of talent out there that quite frankly doesn't get the visibility that it deserves. So uh, working with the independent community was was kind of a natural fit in that sense. What do you think
0: are the biggest challenges for indie art- artists both emotionally and, uh, and I guess technically in these days?
2: Well, it, I mean, technically it's, it's kind of a hard thing to say because everybody's got their own vision as to what they want to do so I I don't generally try to speak to that I I think that the challenge that I I keep hearing obviously most often is is, you know crowdfunding Mm -hmm. Uh, but but sometimes they maybe aren't quite as effective as they could be or or you know, the challenge is just lies in basic networking skills a lot of the, the time that, uh, you know, trying to get the visibility that they need and trying to get FaceTime with people that they need and, and trying to develop a following and convince people that this is a project that, that you should be investing in. And I know that sounds a lot simpler than it is, but that's the truth. You know, how do, how do you make your project stand out and how do you, you get people on side with you to the point where they want to back and support and follow your project from start to finish? And that is a lot of what you see in the independent community, I think. So I guess just because some
0: of my listeners, might not know about crowdfunding or crowdsourcing. If you could give like a bit of a background
2: in that. Well, I mean, there's different ways that you can go about doing it. A lot of people will go out and and start their own campaigns. they have their own websites. They'll hit their own targets. Uh, but but what most of the crowdfunding evolves as is uh, they go up on uh, things like uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter or any of the other campaigns, and they'll set themselves a target. And they'll give themselves a window of time in order to reach a goal of say. I don't know, typically anywhere between five and $25,000 is the, the yardstick that we usually see, and at least for the, the scope of my show. This, some of them are a lot higher and some of them are a lot lower. Mm-hmm. But uh, for various stages, or a, they may be wanting to get seed money to get the project off the ground. They may be looking to raise money to get marketing dollars to, to get into film festivals. Uh, but for whatever reason or another, a lot of the instances, uh, what you'll see is that if they can't get X number of dollars, Within a certain number of days, say thirty days to ninety days, then all of the pledges that they've collected to up until that point are null and void unless they can actually hit that target. Oh wow. So if they uh if they can't reach it, they don't get anything. But if they get over it, then they get to keep whatever's over minus whatever handling fees that the website starts. hmm So with so there's a lot of pressure involved in some Yeah, ways. no for sure. So with
0: all this, this uh, with crowdsourcing and crowdfunding, there's so many new ways of monetizing that we haven't even figured out as artists yet. Uh, what are some of the more unique ways you've seen artists monetize their art or get past that barrier
2: of... Well, okay, I, and I'm glad you asked that question because I want to single one group out here. Uh, and I, I've mentioned these guys before. A while ago, I actually hooked in with a group that was working on a, a film called Tilt and Phil Holbrook was the director and, and they had this writing team uh, King is a Fink Productions, Julie and Jessica that, that were working on this and this was probably single-handedly the most creative approach that I ever saw to crowdfunding. What they did was they created this whole separate tiny little town around Tilt. It's sort of a character study, it's kinda of hard to explain in, in sort of a short time frame like this but what they did was they created a whole town of characters And if you contributed to this campaign, they had all these little backstories and everything like that. And they would actually create characters within this sort of fictional town and have all these little back little plot lines going on on Twitter and Facebook like that. Uh, I remember one instance, there was a guy whose wife had a a son halfway through the Kickstarter campaign or something like that. And they pretended to have a parade all the way through town and everything like that. But it, it, it was a way of getting people motivated. And following other people's backstories and opening up, you know, fake little restaurants for people and things like that. So you had a whole legion of people that was, you know, getting behind them. They were providing regular updates and and uh, just constant barrages of information. And every time they did something, they, they came out and made a big announcement about it. So it, it was very much a positive thing and it was an interactive thing. And, and uh, that kind of... Energy, I think, is infectious. And, and if you can come up with a simple but unique concept like that, then that's the kind of thing that people tend, generally tend to rally behind. Wow. Just so
0: I'm sure I'm clear on this, so they were allowed to sort of create their own character in that town and follow it? Or? Well, it was-
2: well, what, what happened was they would take sort of, uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe, and it's better less left to, uh, to Phil and, and Julie and Jessica, but uh, what they did was they they sort of took the person's name, maybe a little bit about them, and they, they created a character sketch or a composite, and they, they waved it into this fictional town. It was all done by the writers and the director. So, uh, and they were very good about it, too. They, they were, you know, it was a really fun thing to see. How have you seen people use
0: this digital world that we're getting into with the internet to help promote themselves so not i'm not thinking in the sense of crowdfunding but twitter or facebook have you seen any unique ways of
2: promotion that's kind of really kind of hard because uh, i can honestly tell you that the things that i like the best are when people generally um sometimes they get really funny with them and they they generally uh, develop these little uh, video updates that are kind of half spoofs and things like that. Uh, other times it'll be straight up blog entries that are also very interesting. Don't get me wrong, but they have a different flavor to them entirely. But, mm-hmm. but I, I think that the openness and the willingness to share ideas is something that that uh, is really kind of encouraging to see. Yeah. That, that people are willing to like you know like case in the point like you you got a great website for art of guillotine art of the guillotine for yeah. people are willing to exchange best practices and it's not about hiding secrets and things like that obviously there are certain things that you don't want to take your hand about but, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that the open flow of information is uh, is really kind of cool to watch so you you talked to me before via email about uh, your
0: involvement with the Ireland Canada Chamber of Commerce uh, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about that and how that came to be.
2: Oh, yeah. So the Ireland Canada Chamber of Commerce is something I'm I'm very proud of. I'm I'm part of the Montreal chapter. This is sort of a nationwide organization. But I um, I got involved with these guys almost exactly a year ago. And what happened was I I had a friend of mine I I won't mention his name but but uh, who invited me to be part of his uh, his trivia team. And the Ireland Canada Chamber of Commerce sponsors these trivia nights twice a, uh, a year, once usually in February, and uh, the other one over the course of the summer, and of course I'm a trivia buff, so they didn't have to uh, tweak me too hard to get me there. And I just was looking for a way to sort of, you know, build and explore my Irish heritage. I Admittedly, I have to go back six generations to trace my roots back to Ireland, but I, w- I was looking to get involved with an organization. Um, being in the business field myself, I, you know, this seemed like a logical fit. I started talking to these guys, and, and uh, they organize a series of events over the course of the year, and they participate with other Irish groups to uh, foster economic development between Ireland and Canada. So um, I've had a lot of fun with them. They put me on the board of directors last summer, oh, and uh, I'm actually going to be hosting, uh, believe it or not, on February 17th for any of your listeners that uh, may be in Montreal, at uh, at Hurley's we're we're gonna be having a trivia night and I'm actually gonna be the one of the two quiz masters at the at the trivia night at uh, at Hurley's Oh well, that'll be fun. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be lots of fun. We're looking forward to that's it. usually uh it's usually a big night for us and then of course you know we get into St Patrick's Day and all that stuff yeah. so it's gonna be lots of fun. Okay,
0: so I have my last question that you you alluded to earlier and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film?
2: Oh <laughs> Only one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean I, There's so many of them. I, I, I was running down this with my buddies because I knew I was going to be asked this question, Gordon, but uh, I'll, I'll cite a couple for you just All to right. show you that usually they're the ones that make me laugh the hardest, so I'll go with uh, a couple of different ones here. Uh, I'll say Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight is one of them. Uh, right. Certainly Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and I'll even admit to, uh, God help me, I'll even admit to UHF. How's that? <laughs> That's great. So that was our interview, Lauren.
1: Super. So originally um, that was how the podcast ended, but then we realized it was terribly sad and um, lacked a lot of yeah self worth. So, so we
0: take this little piece on.
1: Yeah. So have a lovely day.
0: Have a nice day.
1: Okay.